Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. The long, hot summer, not just a motion picture, an iconic motion picture from the 1950s, but it is something we seem to be experiencing here in the Carolinas this summer season. I'm Chris William, and welcome again to the most widely watched and longest-running program on Carolina business policy and public affairs seen each week across North and South Carolina. In a moment, we will start to unpack what the long, hot summer looks like here with our panelists. And later on, he is the CEO of Winston-Salem-based Truliant Credit Union. Todd Hall joins us, and we start right now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Anna Bevan Gravely of NC Free, Antoine C. Wright from Blueprint Strategy, and special guest, Todd Hall, President and CEO of Trulliant Federal Credit Union. Yeah, a movie from the 1950s called The Long Hot Summer. It was iconic at the time, and it does kind of tell the tale of what we're experiencing now. Anna Bevan, Antoine, it's a long, hot summer. Heat, politics, anxiety around inflation, Roe v. Wade, gun legislation. I mean, all of this stuff has kind of come together. Anna Bevan, I want to I start with you. The idea that the Supreme Court has now reversed um, longstanding Roe v. Wade and now seems to be pushing decisions to states, North Carolina is different than South Carolina. Uh, not, not surprising to either one of you, North Carolina's governor is making accommodations for pro-choice. South Carolina seems to be drawing battle lines on being even more conservative. Uh, Anna Bevan, how does this play out? And it, do I have that right? Yeah, I think you, you framed it up perfectly. Um, everything that's happening right now in North Carolina is with November in mind. Um, the governor come out, came out and made his statement, making these accommodations, doing what he can do as, as an executive. Um, the General Assembly has said that they are not gonna talk about it or pick it up until um, next year, so after the election. But really all of this is about trying to turn out people in, in November and try to attract more out-of-state money to really help and support those Democrats that are running to hopefully be able to gain a majority or at least keep the Republicans from getting a super majority. Ant Antoine, is, this, is the short answer that this is about politics, that the short game is going to be about politics around R.V. Wade? Uh, before the Supreme Court decision, it was about policy. 
Now I think it's a combination of politics and policy. Uh, just let me give you some background slash framework table setting. When I mentioned that the 2016 was the most consequential of my lifetime, it wasn't about Trump versus Clinton. It was about the fact that whomever was the president was going to have the opportunity to nominate a person to the court. Mm -hmm. That a person turned out to be three persons, uh, three people to the court, to the nation's highest court for a lifetime appointment. Now we see the results. And as a result, you see the fabric of this country around issues that have been woven together very tightly being pulled apart. And as a result, now states, mostly conservative, especially in the South, when you look at the General Assembly makeup, will make decisions about whether a woman uh, makes a decision about what she chooses to do with her and her doctor, which has always been a privacy decision. And in South Carolina, like most conservative states, there's always been three exemptions, rape, incest, life of the mother. Those three things have seemed to gone out of the conservative window with the posture and the politics that we, the environmental we live in today. A.B.? Yeah, I mean, I think you, again, um, are doing a great job laying this, this, this table. I wonder if we're having a, a great meal at this table. But um, <laughs> I, I really do think right now it's largely about politics. I think the policy piece will come later, um, if it even comes at all. But a lot of this is really just about um, trying to gain support, um, trying to um, raise money. And I mean, not to say that there's not an issue behind it that is critically important to so many people. Um, but right now, what's being louder and being pushed forward is the mm -hmm. politics piece. But AB, you know, AB, here's one thought. Here's where I think this could be a mistake for the conservatives who are making this push. I think voters tend to have muscle memory uh, on steroids in a midterm election. And the fact is, you traditionally have more women, suburban women, turn out in off-year presidential elections more so than on your presidential elections. When I think about the makeup of the Carolinas and around the country, this could have, I think, bad muscle memory for conservatives who want to push this and make this a state issue in states where you have statewide races on the ballot. It could be really detrimental long-term, not just short-term, for the conservative party who are making this political push. The big piece that I have and is, is still a question mark in my mind is, how will inflation as the topic of um, many households mm -hmm. right now where women have the predominant um, purchasing power, I think it's like 93%, mm -hmm. uh, make 93% of financial decisions in a home. How is that going to compare to um, to this this conversation about abortion and abortion rights. Well, uh, I think that's what's left to be seen, honestly. Okay. Let, let, me, let me bring it to this, and let me use a, a, another recent epic decision, and that's uh, gun legislation. Do we, and, yeah. and not to be dismissive, that R. V. Wade isn't, isn't a monumental battle or, or, or debate, but there seems to be some hope, some encouragement, that if the country can start to come together as, as acute as it is around gun rights, but still start to come together around some controls around guns, can we translate that over? Do you think it's encouraging that maybe the country can start to apply that same type of intel on a road uh, pro-choice, pro-life type of debate? Either one of you. I, I, I don't, and let me tell you why. While Roe versus Wade will be a factor for some. It will not be the final factor or 
the uh, the majority of the factors of why people go to the vote to vote in whatever corner they decide, the left or the right corner. I think this midterm election will include a buffet of items that will drive people for their reason to being to being able to turn out in the this election. And AB, while you mentioned inflation, while inflation may be an issue now, who the heck knows what and how that will impact by the time we get to the fall of 2022. And inflation may not be an issue. We see in the Carolinas, gas prices are already starting to come down. People are starting to make adjustments. And so while there may be topic of conversation here in this long, hot summer that Chris mentioned in the intro, it could be a short fall winter around conversation around uh, inflation as we get closer to the election. I'm going to have to go a little bit in the opposite direction for you on this. I think that the conversation around being able to pay for gas, shopping and grocery stores, I know that of all of the topics that are the buffet of, of items that um, are there for us to talk about, that's what's dominating all of the conversations in my family, with my friends. It's really about like apples to apples comparison on gas, whether they're, we're seeing it come down just a smidgen, not enough for people to go, whew, geez, that's really, I'm glad that's over. Um, but it's really going to stay around a lot longer. And I think that's what's going to be really hard for mm -hmm. candidates that are running um, issues like guns and abortion, being able to get some breathing space in this. Um, at the end of the day, all of these topics are important. But I think what happens in your wallet to your bank account is what's going to be a driving factor. OK, well, let me ask a -A you AB, let me, AB, can I shock you on this? Sure. You and I don't disagree on that part. <laughs> because we, we all we all believe that kitchen table yeah. uh, issues are run the day. But here's what I would say to you in the form of a question. I know Chris wants us to move on, but here's what I say to you in the form of a question for those who may feel the way you feel. What if that is not an issue in the fall? What if things start to normalize and level out? Uh, and the, the buffet table seems to be smooth and easy for everyone to enter left and right. So what does that mean? What's going to be the argument or what's going to be the conversation they're driving for us for the opposition party to the Democrats. And I think that's going to be the question for Republicans in the fall. Are you, uh, let me ask you this, Antoine, are you hearing, are you sensing, do you feel that people are becoming more anxious about their current personal financial situation? I think there's so much noise in the environment. People cannot necessarily hear the lyrics about the reality that we're not just this is not just an American problem. This is a global issue when we talk about inflation, when we talk about prices of gas, when we talk about prices of food. It's not just an isolated thing here in this country. And I think when people drill down in the details, and I know it's hard to do in an environment that's so noisy, you will learn that this is not just something that Joe Biden is dealing with. World leaders are dealing with the same problems. And that's why I think as Democrats, the important thing is going to be reminding people where we come from and where we are not to paint this picture as everything's perfect, but we could be in a deeper hole had some things not been in place and had some measures not been in place. Anna Bevan, in about 30 that, seconds. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I think that that rational piece, um, when you're dealing with people who are seeing in a matter of two years, their life go from being, hey, we've got a rhythm. We've finally gotten our like family budget down to I have no idea how much it's going to cost for me to go to the grocery store. I'm now going to go to four different grocery stores to find the right thing. When, when, I don't know, eggs and milk are six and eight dollars, like that, that's unreasonable for families. And I think that is going to stay in their minds over and over and over again, especially when they go to the voting booth. 
Our special guest was named CEO right at the very beginning of what this public health crisis we called COVID was. So now it's fair to say two and a half or two, two plus years later, he is now broken into the clear and actually can be on, on the ground in front of team members and in front of their members, if you will. We welcome to the program the President Chief Executive Officer of Trillionth or Truliant Federal Credit Union, Todd Hall. Todd, welcome to the program. And, and let me ask you, right from the top, I've heard it, Truliant and Truliant, which one is it? Which is correct? Well, so officially, Truliant is is the way we pronounce it, but um, as long as you're saying good things about us, you can pronounce it any way you want to, Chris. <laughs> Um, you're a, I think it's fair to say you're a banker, and I know uh, some credit union execs may argue with that. But, you, you know, you've, of course, interest rates and lending and, and demand accounts are all important to credit unions. So when you, as a banker or as a financial services executive, Todd, um, do you get the sense that we are experiencing and maybe in a recession now? I don't think we're quite in a recession yet. There's a number of data points that kind of conflict that. So recent job data and things of that nature would, would say we're not in a recession. Um, you, you look at the bond market and obviously we're, we're flirting with it being inverted and things of that nature, which would say we are. So we don't really believe that we're quite yet in a recession. I think it's gonna be difficult to avoid as the Fed tries to deal with inflation. Inflation is the pain point for you know our members and, our, and, and things that, that we're trying to help with. Um, so I, I think that it's probably unavoidable that we'll have some um, taste of recession in the, in the near term, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Okay. Anna Bevan? Yeah. So coming in just before COVID and then coming out of, out of COVID, question mark, um, I am wondering, is there a chilling effect that you've seen with people preparing for what's coming? Um, in the future with the Fed raising the rates? How is that impacting um, your your members, people um, coming to you for, for solutions? Yeah, um, they. I, I do think that there was a little bit of uh, lulling through, you know, all the stimulus that was 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 given out. During the, and, I, and I think stimulus was good. I, I think it helped a lot of people in, in difficult times. Forbearances and things of that nature, I think, were, were necessary. Um, so I do think that the, the the rate of inflation rising so quickly, gas going to, you know, almost $5, things of that nature, squeezed people that we weren't, you know, some of our members and, and our communities weren't quite prepared for the challenges of food cost um, and, and gas cost and then other household expenses and things of that nature. Um, I do know that they're resilient. You know, it's not the first time we've been in challenging times. And um, the, the beauty of being in the credit union space is that, um, we're here for guidance. So, you know, our, our mission is to help improve financial lives. And, and these are the times where people usually turn to us to say, hey, can you help me with cash flow? Can you help me with this particular debt? How do I manage to, you know, put food on the table to replace the air conditioned unit that just broke down while well, it's at 95 outside, all, all those different scenarios. So I do think that there's a little bit of a shock effect for some coming out of what we were experiencing for the past two years. Uh, but, but I think that, um, you know, everybody, everybody will come out of that well, uh, ultimately. Todd, I have a three-legged stool kind of question. First <laughs> and foremost, what type of pain slash gain have you seen from the start of COVID 
uh, and your tenure at the bank to now, because there's been some transitions, or as we say in yoga, there's been some obvious adjustments, both in the economy and with the clientele you serve. My second thought process is as we ease out of this, because we know these things don't last forever, what does the cooling or the chilling effect look like? looks like post all this in particular for an institution like yours? And then thirdly, what does the housing look, market look like both now and what is it going to look like post all this? Because while people made a lot of gains, all those gains uh, realistically yeah, from everything I read cannot necessarily be sustainable. So that's my three-legged stool I want you to stand on. Okay, all right, lay it on me, man. Um, so first off, I think that you know, com- going through COVID and stimulus, we saw our members uh, save more. So it, they, they did have bigger balance sheets. You know, there were forbearances like we mentioned earlier, so they didn't have rent payments or, or mortgage payments that particularly they had to make. So they, they stockpiled some of that in, in, in savings and money markets and things of that nature, which helped them get through. And we're starting to see that begin to diminish as they're, they're getting into a spending environment with inflation like we just, we just talked about. But I do think that they are in a little bit better shape going into a challenging economic environment um, that we're going to have. The, the question will be, how long does it last? You know, does the Fed get inflation, you know, under control reasonably quickly um, and not have to, to, you know, continue to be highly aggressive beyond the next few months on, on interest rates, things of that nature. Uh, you know, the second part coming out of it, uh, we are starting to see delinquencies, you know, the delinquencies were, for lack of a better word, almost non-existent mm-hmm. during STEM, you know, that the COVID timeframes, every, every banker, you know, would tell you that, every credit union exec would tell you that. Uh, we're starting to see those rise, but not in, in you know, scary trends, uh, more returning, get, haven't gotten there, but starting to return back to what would pre-COVID delinquencies look like, which tell us that our members are beginning to, you know, be back in, in, in a kind of normal environment as a response to their ability to, to cash flow and, and, and manage debt and, and live accordingly. Um, and then, uh, you know, going forward for the institution, um, like many, we are benefiting from the increase in rates in our net interest margin. So we, we make more money on all that uh, liquidity that we've accumulated over the last few years uh, now that the Fed's paying more on that. And so um, I think that for TrueLiant and other other institutions that are out there on the consumer side of things, we're in a really good position because this is when people come to come to us. You know, when things are really good, eh, not so much. When we need some help, when we need some advice, we need a way to figure out how we get through some difficult times. It's when they turn to, to places like True Lion, and, and we're well positioned for that, well known for it. And, and I think mm-hmm. that um, we, we have a really diverse um, organization. So, you know, I, I've been here for 10 years. Uh, we had a really nice transition plan with my predecessor, Mark Schaefer, uh, and, and so responsibilities were well transitioned, and it was very smooth for myself and the organization. But we diversified aggressively over the past five or six years. So, you know, the red, different revenue streams that come to True Lion in, in various um, scenarios are beneficial to us. You know, we're not heavy on long-term, low-interest rate fixed mortgages on our, our balance sheet, for example. And, um, we, we, we generate a good bit of, you know, in the small business uh, administration arena, we generate a good bit of, of income through that piece. So um, I think that for us, the next couple of years should bode well. Uh, the question being inflation and what might that, you know, how that might impact members' um, behaviors. 
you know, with regards to, to, to need. Let, let me pick yeah. up on what the, the third thing Antoine brought up about housing. Do you get, you get the sense that we are, uh, uh, and I know everybody talks about in-migration in the Carolinas, that's going to do a lot to bail us out of issues that may or may not happen. But at some point, trees don't grow to the sky, right, Todd? And you've got, you've got loans on homes, and I know those are thoughtful loans. But at what point do we flatten out on either housing sales or housing values? And, and how, do you, how do you figure that calculus into whatever True Lion is looking at down the road? Yeah, so obviously, like everybody, our, the, the you know mortgages have the, the trend is is downward and beginning to flatten. For us, it's it's kind of flattened. Um, I think the bigger question for the housing piece is inventory. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're going to certainly you know with all that we've got going on economic development wise, both in, in North and South Carolina, um, you know, inventory is a challenge. And 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 for us, one of our our aggravations in the in the housing market is the number of homes that are bought by investors to be then rented out you know the, i think mm -hmm. the numbers talk about 40 some percent of home purchases in the most you know the, the near term are investors a lot of them corporate you know investors buying homes uh, to then put in the rental market well how do, how do we overcome affordable housing in that environment so i think that's a bigger challenge and i know the only way to probably overcome it is congressionally and, and that that could be a challenge and but uh i think it's more you know the inventory availability for people to buy a home at a, at a, a reasonable price we believe prices will, will, will begin to moderate interest rates will have some impact on that you know rates are in the low fives right now given what's happened in the 10 year lately um so uh, but uh, I, I do think that that inventory is a big crux okay anna bevan yeah, I, as you were talking, the first thing that came to my mind were um, young people. So Gen Z is getting older, uh, millennial is millennials. <laughs> you love or hate, there's no middle ground. Um, but they, about 19% of them own homes. And during the, the time of COVID, they spent a huge amount of their, um, of the stimulus money paying off debt to sort of catch up to previous generations who've done a better job or haven't had as much debt. Um, and so are you, of your members and the people who come to you for, for solutions and help, are you seeing more or less young people who are like trying to, to do a little bit more, to be more than more part of that 19% that owns homes or doesn't perpetually rent? Um, we do. So, you know, uh, most recently we've, we, we are starting to trend younger. So we are starting to engage with uh, younger generations that are moving into home buying, you know, marriages, starting a family, all those points that have challenges to it, right? That, that some guidance is, is valuable. So we are seeing it. Um, I think that a lot of them are still burdened with what you just described, you know, a significant debt from a number of different areas and then the cost of housing as it is now. And so um, we we have affordable housing programs, the first time home buyers that uh, really is around. Have you had, you know, owned a home previously in the past three years, things of that nature to help folks with that, that um, significantly lessen or do away with down payments and mortgage insurance premiums and things of that nature. Um, but that those generations at the moment, I think, are a little bit shocked. 
You know, I think it's there's not a lot of inventory. You want to get a starter home in, in the Carolinas, you know, it's not it's not a buck seventy five anymore, you know, it's like three fifty or four. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. you know, I, I do think that they they are struggling a bit to to find a, an avenue for that. Okay. Uh Todd, as the tectonic plates continue to shift both politically and economically, not just in the South, but across the country, uh, how do what what advice would you have to lawmakers and leaders about the wealth gap that continues to widen? You see the haves go up and the have nots continue to go down. And that there's no there's no such thing as a, a real middle anymore. Um, so what what would you say to this idea or conversation around the wealth gap? Because that's a reality that you talk about young folks that we're going to face when you add student loans to the conversation, when you add the, the rising cost of goods and services, et cetera. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, we believe the solution, one of the, one of the solutions to that is uh, quality and employment for folks so they can make a, you know, a, a quality wage and begin to, to you know, save, invest, buy homes, things of that nature. And uh, so I think there needs to be an effort to take jobs where those people are versus versus saying, hey, we, we'll make jobs available to, to those folks. And, you know, for TrueLiant right now, we 51% of our employees live in low to mod census tracts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. we hire within mm -hmm. the communities that we are here to serve, but we need to do more than that. So we, we are investigating things like taking jobs to, to low mod communities, um, opening space there, creating training labs and creating jobs that they, you know, that are on bus lines that are within walking distance mm -hmm. or biking distance, things of that nature versus saying, well, we've got jobs for you, but we're uptown. So if you can get to us, you know, we're, we're glad to, to have you. But congressionally, I, I think that there has to be more effort to it. I think that there's a great deal of money being put into the system, you know, from, from corporations around affordable housing, um, you know, what we're talking about, you know, raising people out of poverty, um, you know, education's a key, early education certainly a key to that, or, you know, quality jobs is certainly a key to that. Oh, okay. Um, Todd, I wish we had more time uh, because right. you, get a, you get a pass on other easy questions <laughs> like Roe v. Wade, um, like, oh, loan forgiveness. Thanks, you know, please come back so we can, we can pepper those at you, too. But, uh, Todd, thank you, and best of luck going forward. Nice to see you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Anna Bevan, good to see you. Antoine, be careful. Have a good summer. Until next week, I'm Chris Williams. Thank you. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.